Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. This will be the text of Scripture which will serve as the basis for the morning message. By way of information, this time of the year is always a time where we tend to look forward, taking a glance back to see what the previous year was like for us, taking stock, inventory of our lives. And with that in mind, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture which would be appropriate any Sunday of the year, any day of the year for that matter, for us to contemplate, but one that I believe the Lord has led me to, to challenge us. The Lord will challenge us, I believe, about the coming year. So I'm going to read beginning with verse 15 of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. I am reading from the New American Standard Bible and invite you to follow in whatever version of the Bible you have with you today. Ephesians 5.15 Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I spent a large portion of my childhood visiting with my maternal grandparents in a little town in West Tennessee. One of the things I enjoyed greatly was the time I was able to spend with my grandfather at his workplace. He was a career politician. He served as a sheriff of the county where he resided, and for four terms plus he served as a county court clerk of that county. He was well-respected in the community, and he was a great servant. He would go to work to the courthouse, as we would call it. It's set on Court Square in Lexington, Tennessee, a booming metropolis of about 5,000 people there, the biggest town, can't even be called a city in that county in West Tennessee. And I would go, and he would give me little things to do to give me a sense of responsibility, but also a sense of belonging and importance. On my off days, when he would be working on a Saturday, and he did work every Saturday, because this county was a rural county, and all the country folk would come into town to do whatever they needed to do in town. I would wander out into the lawn area, beautiful, shady, green grass, and I would see a bunch of old men. Now, those old men probably were younger than I am now, but to a child, they were old. They were in their bib overalls, wearing a straw hat, chewing tobacco, and talking with each other. And one of the things I noticed early on when I would observe these gentlemen is that they would typically have a piece of a branch which had fallen from one of the trees on the property in hand. And then they had a pocket knife, and these were sharp pocket knives. And they were whittling on these pieces of wood. I didn't even know what to call it. I asked Papaw, Papaw, what are they doing? He said, they're whittling, they're whittling. But it was not the kind of whittling that you might think. It was not 
purposeful from my point of view because they weren't carving anything out. They were just whittling. It was a way of dignifying just killing time, actually, (laughs) wasting time. And I thought about that as an adult. I have not tried my hand at whittling for a long time. I tried it for a while when I was a boy, but gave it up sooner than later. And I've thought about this as an adult and how often I've just whittled my life away. Whittled. Whittled. Whittled my life away. Another event in my younger life, it's really not so much an event, it was a career of sorts for me. When I was in college, I was employed by the United States Postal Service. I worked as a mail handler while going to school, got married, still worked, supported my wife and me on the salary I received from that work. It was a great job for me. And as a mail handler, my responsibility, among others, one of them at least, was some of the other mail handlers would load parcels onto a conveyor belt. The conveyor belt would send them down to me and another man, and we would sort them out as they came. And many times a package would have this labeling on it, fragile, handle with care. And over the years, I've reflected on that as it relates to the matter of Time, the time that God has given to us. In this room, we have people from all walks of life. We have people who are well-to-do people financially. We have people who really are subsistence-level people. They just make enough money to get to the next payday. And then there are people like me and you probably who are in between those levels of people. There are differing degrees of wealth monetarily speaking, represented in a room like this. Also, there are differing degrees of status in the community represented in this room. One of the things I love about the body of Christ is there is no place for status. We're all equal in the sense of being children of God. And the fact that God has chosen you in Christ and He did it before you were even born Read about it in the book of Ephesians. The fact that He chose you is unexplainable. Just as it's true for me. Why would He choose me? I have no idea. But I sure am glad He did. And when He has chosen us, He has dignified all of us. We are children of the King of Kings. And it's nothing to brag about or boast about. We had nothing to do with it. It's all His doing. But it does give us a sense of being and a sense of purpose that dignifies us. Here's one thing I would say on the human level that we all are equally blessed with, and that is time. This moment. Time is no respecter of age, no respecter of status, no respecter of wealthiness, no respecter of any of that. Time has been given to us. And this passage of Scripture... In verse 16 that we're looking at today says, making the most of your time. I'm particularly fond of the NIV translation, making the most of every opportunity. In fact, 
If we were to go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, or Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul's writing to those churches in his epistles to their body of Christ. What he says, he uses the same word which is translated time here in verse 16. He uses it, and the New American Standard Bible in each case translates it by the word opportunity. This word was a word of the marketplace. It's a commercial word. You probably know the word agora. Agora is the Latin word for marketplace. And actually, it's the word in the original language of the New Testament, Greek, for marketplace. It's compounded, though, in this idea of making the most of the opportunity. Some of your translations even say redeeming the time. Do some of your translations say that? It's the idea of buying something and buying it back. And it's no casual kind of shopping that you would do in that case. It would be sort of an urgent kind of purchasing. It reminds me of what's going to happen at Dillard's day after tomorrow. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, and I really don't. I've just heard about it. How they put everything in the store, and this is probably not totally accurate, but it's probably close. They put everything in the store at half price. And I've heard stories that are borderline horror stories about how people are going in there and people actually start pulling things right out from under you that you're about to get before your hand can reach it. It's gone because somebody else wants that. And people just are going crazy, as it were, to buy up things that they want in that setting. That's a little bit of the idea here. Making the most, redeeming the time, really going after the time that God has given to us. I must make another observation about this simple part of a verse, making the most of your time. The word your actually appears after the word time, and before the word time is the word the, making the most of the time of yours. And the idea here is this is a unique time. There are two words in the New Testament which are translated in our Bibles by our English term, time. One is chronos, which means chronological or sequenced time. Second following second, minute following minute, hour following hour, day following day, decade following decade. That time element is important because the kind of time which is spoken of here is the kind of time which is a God-ordained full of God's expectation, full of God's presence kind of time. It's best defined by what we would call eternal life, actually. And you might say, well, Mike, I thought eternal life is something happens when I depart this world. Well, yes, but the Bible is really clear. Jesus says in John 5, 24, He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. The moment I received Christ, He came to live in my life. And among the things which we know about Jesus is He is the life. So He's present in me. And this kind of time, kairos is the term, is a very significant time as it relates to eternal things. It's the life of God in that moment. And we who know Christ are faced all the time with potential moments that will count forever. 
For instance, let me mention, I mentioned about Colossians chapter 4 and then Galatians 6. I'll take those in reverse order. In Galatians 6 verse 10, this is what Paul writes to the church there in Galatia. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let's make the most of that opportunity by doing good to all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. That is an example that God gives to us where we who know Jesus, part of the church, we are to minister to people. We are to be on the lookout to be used by God. If you live in the awareness in the coming year, perhaps you've been living for years like this. I hope that's true for all of you. But if you never have viewed yourself as a person who is one in whom Christ really lives, if you've trusted Him, He lives in you. And He wants His life to get out of you and spill over into others. That would be abundant life. That would be eternal life. Out of your innermost being, the Bible says, if we keep on coming, as we keep on thirsting and drinking of Christ, out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water, and they'll spill all over the place, and God will touch people through you and me. If we have that understanding, we can enter every day in the coming year. And you can start tomorrow if you want to. We can enter every day being conduits of the love of God and the light of God and the life of God. Those moments will be these kairos type of moments. The Germans, the theologians have a word that captures this. Their word normally for history is chronological time is history. Sound familiar, doesn't it? History, probably borrowed from the French language. But then the other word is Hausgeschichte. Geschichte is history, but Hiles means holy, holy history. That is what is conveyed by this word time, making the most of your time. It's really not our time. We're on borrowed time. It's God's time because it's His presence in our lives which makes it possible for us to be this kind of conduit of God's love and grace to other people. And then in the book of Colossians chapter 4, the Scripture says that we are to conduct ourselves in such a way that we will be ready for the opportunity that God gives us to, with our speech that will be laced with grace and full of salt. We will know exactly how to respond to people who don't yet know Christ. I had a conversation after the 9 o'clock worship service with a couple, the fellows, some of you know, Walter and Brenda Fellows. For some time now, they've been in China. They are there because Walter is employed by a, an international company. He's got a big responsibility. And he and she were telling me, this is what they said. I'll talk, start with Walter. Walter said, I have been amazed how the Lord has given me more ministry. Now, this is a businessman. This is an executive. This is a man who runs a plant that probably employs thousands of Chinese. He says, I have been amazed how much ministry God has given me since we have come to China. More than I have ever experienced in the U.S. And then Brenda told me of an example that happened in her life. She was sitting in the church where they attend. And it's a church which if you are a national of China, you cannot come there. Legally, although there are people who do that who are 
Chinese nationals. But she was saying one day a Chinese national lady came and sat beside her. And as they had a little break in the service, this is what happened. The Chinese lady said, why are you so happy to her? And she said, I was not feeling particularly happy that day. My daughter Samantha came for a visit and she was about to be sent back to the States and I was feeling rather sad, actually. And I said, well, this is going to take a little while. Would you be willing to wait and have a little time after the worship service ends? And the lady said, yes. The service ended. And then she was saying, Brenda, she said, I couldn't think about anything about what I, except what I was going to say to her to try to answer this question because I was not feeling happy. So she was honest. She said, you know, I don't feel particularly happy because and she explained why her daughter was leaving. She said, she turned to Psalm 119, which she said has become a place she camps out a lot with the Lord. And in the first two verses, there is a statement of blessing on a certain person. Blessed is the person who does this. Blessed is the person. And she said, this word blessed literally means happy or how happy. Happy or how joyful. She said, I think there's a difference between happiness and joy or blessing. I'm blessed because of my relationship to God so that I can be a person who is independent to a certain degree of my circumstances. She had a two-hour conversation with that lady. Why do I say this? It's because in Walter's case and her case, Walter has a businessman's breakfast that includes people from all over the country. In the church where they attend, there are 30 different nations represented in the church in the Shanghai area. It's amazing what God is doing through them. How are they able to do what they are doing? They are making the most of the opportunity. They are people in whom Christ lives. And God is using them. Now, we don't have to go halfway around the world to be used by God. We simply have to have the perspective that Paul suggests can be ours as followers of Christ. We need to make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to give you four things from this passage of Scripture. It's not my ideas There probably are many more here embedded. I challenge you to find your own application. There will be some application in the things that we're going to see. The first thing is, and the overarching thing is, in order to make the most of every opportunity that you and I face, we must live wisely. Look again at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. That's a figure of speech, the idea of walking. It's just a simple way of saying how you live. Not as unwise men, but as wise. We looked in the book of James about what heavenly wisdom is as opposed to worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is characterized by jealousy and selfish ambition. It's a dog-eat-dog world in which we live, isn't it? And this is what we see as far as worldly wisdom. But remember, Jesus says that we're to be as wise as serpents. He doesn't mean we're to be like the devil. That's not what he's saying. We're just to be wise in looking and observing, looking for the opportunity which God gives us to minister to people who come into our lives. This wisdom that is spoken of in James 3, several 
Words are used to describe it, pure. Interestingly, the word translated pure there in James chapter 3 is a word which is very explicit. It's talking about purity that's not just on the inside or not just on the outside, but a purity that is inside and out. The Christian life is to be lived from the inside out. That's the way we are called to live. And what's on the inside needs to be what we reflect on the outside. It's the idea of not being hypocritical. Having a certain seamlessness between who we are and what we say and what we do. So, that's one of the words that describes this kind of wisdom. Another word, I'm not going to deal with all the words. Another word is the word gentle or gentleness. This is not the word I thought it would be. I thought it would be the word that's most often used. Paul likes this word. Jesus uses this word when he says, Blessed are the meek, or the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Paul talks about it when he talks about us restoring a wayward brother gently. He uses it frequently, but this is a different word. It's a word which was used with the idea of justice by the Greeks, actually. And it's a word which means a person who knows what is just and is a person who could lead anyone to know what the law is and to have the power to inflict judgment upon the person. But at a certain point, which is known by that person, that person chooses to show mercy instead of punishment for the person. So this is just a little flavor of what this kind of wisdom is. It's not a wisdom that's worldly. Rather, it is a wisdom that is godly and heavenly. This is the kind of wisdom that we are to have. There's a good reason we need this wisdom. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, the 90th Psalm, the 12th verse, God is addressed by the psalmist who says, Teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. How would we do that? Would that be applicable to you today and me? That we would present to God a heart of wisdom? A heart that is characterized not by selfish ambition, not by jealousy, but all those descriptive terms that are given to this kind of wisdom by God through James in the third chapter of James? Is that possible? Yes, and it will be more than possible. It will be actual someday. Because the Bible speaks about how all of us who know Jesus are going to stand before Christ at what, as in, at what is called the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand there. It's not going to be a judgment of our sins, per se. Because our sins have already been judged. Where were they judged? If we know Christ, if you don't know Jesus, you need to make a beeline for Him. But if you know Christ, what do we know about the judgment of our sins? They were paid for by Christ on the cross, weren't they? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ, how many of our sins have been forgiven? All of them have been forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus is quoted as saying in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. But this is an important judgment. It will be a one-on-one between me and the Lord. 
It's kind of chilling for me to think of it, actually. I get butterflies when I think about it. Because I don't know what, I, what to expect there. I do know how to get ready for it, though. You know how I get ready for it? Living wisely. Living in an obedient, trusting relationship with Christ. Getting ready. And at that point, Paul talks about how our lives will be individually analyzed by Him based on the quality of our lives. He uses an interesting figure of speech. He says, some build their house, everyone having the same foundation and the house being your life. Everyone who knows Christ has the same foundation. What is that foundation? Jesus Himself, correct? According to 1 Corinthians 3. Everyone builds his or her house on that same foundation, but different people use different kinds of materials. Some use silver, gold, and precious stones. These are valuable items, and they are durable items. Others use wood, hay, and straw. These are not valuable, and they're combustible. They're not durable, are they? And then he goes on to say, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and Christ evaluates our lives, some of our lives will go up in flames. And quite frankly, some of all of our lives will go up in flames because we acted independently of the Lord. We were doing it for us. We're even doing religious stuff, church stuff for us. Because we're the center of our own attention rather than Christ being the center of our attention. Others will have their lives endure. And then there will be some people, everything is burned up, but they get through and it's like going through a wall of flames and they get out on the other side only to turn back and look at their whole life going up in smoke. That's kind of scary, isn't it? This is why. I'm not trying to scare you, and... But here's the good news for us. We can start right now. If we haven't been living wisely, you can start today. Right now. And here's how we do it. We trust the Lord. And knowing that we're going to have an opportunity without exception here. If we know Christ, we're going to present to Him, we hope, a heart of wisdom. And it depends on His teaching us. Did you get that? From Psalm 90, verse 12? teaching us to number our days. What is the purpose of numbering anything? I think of two purposes. One is to put a priority on certain things, order them in that way, but also organize. And as we enter into this new year, may this be our desire, our prayer to the Lord. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to You a heart of wisdom. When we come before Jesus... We want to give Him something, don't we? Don't we want to have something to give Him? Not to make it possible for us to be in heaven. He's already paid that price. We can't do anything to get into heaven. It's all His doing. But just to say, thank you, Lord. Listen to what Solomon wrote about the importance of wisdom in the seventh verse of the fourth chapter of Proverbs. Wisdom, and he's talking to his son now. Listen, dads. Listen, moms. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, he's talking to his son, though it costs all you have, get understanding. That's what the Lord wants for us. 
Everything else is secondary at best to the pursuit of wisdom. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity the Lord places before us, we must live wisely. Secondly, we must live deliberately. Look at verse 15 again. Therefore, be careful how you walk or live. The word translated be careful, really it's two words. It's be purposeful in the way you view things. It really means look carefully. You know, make sure before you leap. Look carefully is the idea. And the concept here in the word careful is a word that means be deliberate. It's used to describe closely examining something. Closely examining. So many of us don't really take time to think about what a wise life will be like. Now, some people never get off dead center. All you do is think. You're always indefinitely preparing to live. That's not the Scripture I read in this passage or elsewhere. It's about knowing God, spending time with God, getting direction from God, and then doing what God tells you to do and empowers you to do. But we're to be deliberate in the way in which we live if we're going to make the most of every opportunity. We're going to show up to spend time with the Lord, to listen to the Lord with a purpose of getting to know Him, the primary purpose. But a secondary purpose is to hear from Him and be able to focus on Him, follow Him. And when we follow Him, we're going to be like Him. We're going to do the things which He did. Here's the third aspect of making the most of every opportunity. The first is to live wisely. Have you got that one? To live deliberately. You don't live by accident. You live on purpose. You live deliberately. Here's the third one. You must live alertly. And here again, I'm getting this from this word, be careful. And the reason I say alertly is because this word, as I mentioned, has to do with carefully examining something, but it also has the idea of alertness associated with it. Why do we need to be alert? Why? Because we have an enemy, do we not? In fact, we have three enemies. This may be stretching it a bit, but let me go ahead and give you the obvious enemy is the devil, right? Satan. We have an adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. And Peter says in that teaching in the book of First Peter, he says, be on the alert. Keep your eyes open because we have an enemy. He's a formidable foe. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world speaking of the devil. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, The Lord will strengthen and protect you against the evil one. So don't be a scaredy cat when it comes to the evil one. We have a big brother who is taken up for us. And the devil will bully us, but the Spirit of God through Jesus will give us what we need. The second enemy is the world. The whole world lies under the control of the evil one. The world, you know, is made up of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. This is what the Scripture tells us. The world is always working against us. Let me go ahead and ask you to look back at the passage for a moment. Look at 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. This was true in Paul's day. 
in Ephesus. It was true in the lives of these new believers. Do you know it's true in our day? Would you agree with that? I mean, it's sad. It's so disheartening. It makes me heart sick, really, to see the evil that's rampant in our world. In the day of Isaiah, who predated Paul by probably seven or eight centuries, God speaks through the prophet, and this is what we hear God say through Isaiah. He says, people are calling that which is evil good, and that which is good evil. Isn't that true today? Over and over again, we see it. And what happens is because the world is bombarding us and we're letting it to a degree. You let the world into your home and into your life by what you look at on your phone, by what you look at on TV, by what you listen on your playlist. You let those worldly thoughts encroach upon the property of the Lord Himself because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to let the world take priority in our lives. We don't have to because we trust the Lord. And we find in Him one who is the final solution to what bores us in life. If God is boring to you, you don't know God. I'll just go on record as saying, you don't know Him because He's anything but boring. In His presence, there is fullness of joy, the Bible teaches us. So that's the thing. But in addition to these two things, the devil and the world, I'm going to the least conspicuous of these enemies. And this enemy, the other two are external. This one is internal. It's what the Bible calls our flesh. Simply put, it's our selfishness. It's my personality out from under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's my worst enemy. There's a battle that is being waged in my life. If you know Christ, it's happening in you too. Between the Holy Spirit and your flesh. Now, we know who's going to win that battle. We're no match for the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't keep us from trying to overmatch Him by resisting Him and applying our lives to what we want, even as believers, rather than what He wants in His life. We must be on the alert. We must be very careful how we walk because the days are evil. Do you know what happens? As the standard of our society goes down, and let me interject one very important thought here. We're responsible. We who know Jesus, we are the salt and the light. We are responsible for the culture in which we live. You might say, wait a minute, Mike. I'm not in that. I say, wait, listen. We are to share Christ. Are we sharing Jesus with other people as much as we're worried about what's going on? That's, all that worrying is not going to matter uh, to anything. Hill of beans. But we have the opportunity. There was a story about a missionary during World War II and he had been a missionary in one of the Axis nations and the nation that was his nation. He had been sent home on furlough. And in the meanwhile, that nation began to become our enemy by bombing us. And the people in his church knew that he had been a missionary, 
to that nation. This is what he said. They said to him, he said, I saw that your people bombed our people. And he said, they weren't my people. They were your people. I went there to share Christ with them. I have a heart for them. I love them. And we need to understand that we're not in a war with the world. We are opposed to it for sure. We are in a war with the devil, that's for sure. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But our real target is in here. It's am I a spirit-led Christian? Am I a man who reflects the person of Christ because of His presence in my life? Here's the last thing. And it's really a good bookend to the first thing. What is the first thing? If we're to make the most of every opportunity, we must live wisely. We must live deliberately. We must live alertly. Here's the last thing. We must live dependently. Look again at verse 17. So then, stop being foolish is actually the language. But keep on understanding what the will of the Lord is. Are you still seeking the will of the Lord? I am. How do we find the will of the Lord? The Bible says in the book of Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. We have at our fingertips the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, He will give another helper to you, and He will teach you all things you need to know. Holy Spirit lives in us. Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the Scripture through people. Holy Spirit, thank you, Holy Spirit for being our teacher. Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds and acting on our wills so that we would want to come and say, I want to understand Your will, Lord. Do you have that heart? It's one thing to know the will of God. It's another thing to do it. The Scripture says that Paul, David rather, says this. He says, teach me to do your will. Notice the emphasis on doing the will. He knew the will. Teach me to do your will, O God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. If I'm being led by somebody, I'm depending on that person. The Holy Spirit is totally dependable. He's not a man that he should lie. He cannot lie. He will not filch on any promise He's made to you and me. We can trust Him. So we follow the Lord and we do what He says because we're looking at Him and we just follow His example. We're imitating Him. As He does what He does, we follow Him as our example. We live dependently upon the Lord. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What was true in this city of Ephesus, it was a booming metropolis. Culturally, commercially, religiously, all kinds of gods. And among the gods was the god known as Dionysus. He's known as Bacchus. Same god, different names. Dionysus to the Greeks, Bacchus to the Romans. And he was the god of wine. And people there believed, who were devotees of Dionysus, they believed that they could only come into communion with him by getting drunk. 
So it was a way of escape, actually, from the misery that was in their lives. They were hopeless people. And they would get drunk in the act of worship. And there were all kinds of debauchery that went along with that. Because the Bible says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's the word that's used by Jesus to describe what happened to the prodigal son when he went into the far country. And he spent all his inheritance on what is called riotous living. The word translated, one word, riotous living, is the word which is translated dissipation here. Just self-destruction, really. And what happens when we adopt the standard of the world, we keep lowering our standards, lowering our standards, and we drink too much alcohol. We drink too much. And it distorts reality. It causes problems personally and interpersonally. But we need to know that why do we do that anyway? We do it because we're so unhappy. We need relief. Well, here's the way you get relief. Be filled with the Spirit. That means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, it does not mean that you won't have heartache does not mean that you will not suffer. Because if we were to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, what we would discover is it's God's will for us to suffer sometimes because of our identification with Him. We're rejected by others because we identify with Jesus. He said that would be the case. And He uses that in our lives to make us more like Himself because He learned obedience. I'm talking about Jesus now. Through what He suffered. But the will of God for us is that we be set apart, sanctified. This is what the Bible says. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3 To be growing in Christ's likeness. And when we're led by the Spirit, in Galatians 5.16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. What does he say? Live by the Holy Spirit. Live by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm to live under the influence of of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That is to permeate my thinking and my acting in my life. And out of my life, if I trust the Lord and you trust the Lord, and He's our ruler, He's our absolute authority, we let Him control us. We say, I surrender, Lord. I give everything over to You, Holy Spirit. Fill me, control me. When that happens, we will exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and so forth. And look what will happen. I read a book years ago. And it was telling about how there's more fellowship at a bar than there is in the average local church. I thought, God forbid. But there's some truth there. People are real at the bar, aren't they? They're not hiding anything. They're drowning their sorrows maybe in alcohol, but they're there and they get some acceptance. There's a fraternity there of sorts. But the church is to be the place, not just a meeting like this, but when we can get together, make relationships with each other, get close to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are born for each other to be used by Christ to minister to each other as we live in a dependent relationship upon His will and upon the Holy Spirit 
of God. And look at the things that are true. I wish we had a lot of time to talk here, but we don't. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, that would be what we call our psalms, and hymns. People were hymn writers already in the church. In fact, there's one that's probably referred to in chapter 4, verse 7. You can look at it at your leisure and other places in Paul's writings. And spiritual songs. Sometimes people, according to most scholars, would get songs on the spot. It's mind-boggling to me, but because of my lack of musical ability. And then they are described as spirit-filled people. They speak to one another. They encourage each other. They exhort each other. And they teach each other actually through the songs which they sing that are God-provided and Spirit-led, Christ-centered. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Where are we to be singing from? From our hearts. And there's a vibrancy in a Spirit-filled person and a spirit-filled body of believers when it comes to singing. Because to whom are we singing? We're singing to Jesus. He's our head. He's our husband. He's our Lord. And the last thing here, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So, the motive of our singing is what? To thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. The last thing is submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ. Another characteristic of people who know the Lord and are filled with the Spirit. They live in a submissive relationship to each other. There's no vying for position. No attempt to rule or run the show. There is a spirit of humility and submission and a spirit of recognition that everyone in whom Christ lives shares the same Holy Spirit and we are one body in Christ. I want to finish with one reference in the book of James, chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, what does he have to do? Ask God who gives how? Abundantly, He doesn't withhold, but we have to ask how? By faith. Believing. Would you bow your head? Do you know the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Do you know His control in your life? Have you really let go of the reins of your life to let Christ rule in your life by the Spirit? By faith, the Scripture says, this happens. It's a matter of just saying to the Lord, by faith, Lord, I don't feel anything, but I believe Your Word. I want to trust You, Lord. Holy Spirit, please take control of me. Holy Spirit, please take control of me. Fill me, Lord. Teach me Your will. Lead me, Holy Spirit. Thank You, Jesus, that You say, follow You. Help me to follow You, Lord, this year. So I'll make most of the opportunities which come my way. We're asking for your wisdom. Lord, we need it more than we ever know. But we need it. We want to have a life that just doesn't matter for a while, but lasts forever in terms of its impact. So, Lord, use us. We yield ourselves to you. 
for that right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you.